Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy throne to praise you, glorify you, thank you for who you are, for your name is holy, and you are worthy of all honor and glory, majesty, dominion, and power forever and ever. Even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has received the name that is above all names, that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we praise you, we glorify you, for you are kind to us in Christ. You send your own son that he may be the propitiation of our sins by his death, by his obedience on the cross. Lord, we stand now justified and sanctified in him and fully accepted. Lord, I pray and thank you for your word and now asking for your grace to be with us as we go into your teaching. Lord, may you grant ears and understanding to your people, these who are here and those who are far off. We pray and thank you and thank you for this wonderful gospel of Christ. And we pray in his precious name. Amen. Yes, we are still in the book of John, John chapter 11. It's going to take a while before we get out of John chapter 11. And it's even going to take a long while before we get out of the book of John. So, but praise the Lord for the wonderful time that he has given us so far to hear his gospel according to John. And today we are in John 11, verses 6 to 16. John chapter 11, verses 6 to 16. And John records for us and says, So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where Jesus and his disciples were. Verse 7, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin or Didmus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. And that is the word of the Lord. And for our sermon title, I have decided to title this teaching. Let us also go and die with him. 
let us also go and die with him. And if you want an alternative title, the alternative title is, But I go that I may wake him up. But I go that I may wake him up. Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, is sick and the sisters are in great distress. And so they sent a distress call by way of a messenger who was not named for us by John. A messenger to the Lord to tell him that all is not well. The one whom he loved was sick. They did not identify the name of Lazarus in the message, for it was supposed that the Lord knew who it is whom he loved. The good shepherd of the sheep indeed knows his sheep, and he knows each one by name, and he need not have their names given to him so as to remember them or to know them. The sisters have very good theology about God's particular love towards his people. And so they made their appeal based not on their love for their brother or their brother's love for them or Jesus, but to the love that the Lord had for Lazarus. And that is the basis of appeal before God. It is an appeal on the electing love of God that will move the Lord. It is an appeal that is not based on merit. There was no merit in Lazarus that caused Jesus to attend to the prayer of the sisters. There was no merit in Lazarus that caused the Lord to love Lazarus and his sisters. Rather, it was the love that the Lord already had for Lazarus, that was the only basis for the sister's appeal and Lazarus' salvation from death. But even more, that is the only basis for anyone to be saved. But this one whom the Lord loves seems to have succumbed to things that should not happen to those who are loved of the Lord. And even this one whom the Lord frequently visited their home and enjoyed their company and time together. And beloved, even those who have such testimony of Christ are not spared of sickness or trouble. Knowing Christ does not immunize one from the sickness and trouble of life. That is false teaching and unfortunately, It is all over the place in the church world that once you come to Christ, everything is just going to be so nice and dandy. Rather, the experience of true believers is that when they have come to Christ, they experience more problems. But the good news is that the Lord knows all about it And he will in good time come and deal with the matter because the sickness of these that the Lord loves is not unto death but to the glory of God that the Son may be glorified through it. And sickness will attempt to find its way even to these who know the Lord. But the intention or purpose 
of the sickness is not defined by the sickness. It is not the sickness that defines what the sickness wants to do. It is not the sickness that determined what it was there to do. Sickness is an instrument of God. It's an instrument that God uses to accomplish his own purpose. So sickness is directed by the Lord. It is the Lord who directs sickness and the nature of it and what it should accomplish. You don't choose what you're going to get sick of. You don't say, I think I'm going to have a heart attack or I think it's cool to have this kind of disease condition. That's not up to us. It is the Lord who determines what you're going to have. But praise the Lord that it does not, the sickness is not what determines itself and what it's going to do to you. It's all chosen and appointed for each one by the Lord himself. And so the Lord said in John eleven four, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So what the sickness ends up doing is determined by God because it is he who is sovereign over it. And not only is he sovereign over the sickness, he is also sovereign over all things. It is he who appoints the sickness and appoints its purpose or its end. And so all the struggles that we have gone through and are going through that we have survived did not kill us, not because they could not kill, but because the Lord's purpose was not to kill us by them. We lived again, we live to see another day. Not because our good friend brought some food that strengthened us or that we just ate very good organic food. There's no amount of good organic food that can change the purpose of God. There's no food nutrition that will prevent death because the issue of death and life is not the food itself. It's because of sin and the law. The power of sin is in the law. And the sin, law, and death relationship is the real issue that brings trouble to men. So one cannot just exercise their way out of the trouble of death. You can't exercise and eat well to try and prevent the things that God has appointed. And I'm not saying it's bad to exercise. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that there's a whole lot more that's going on about what ultimately ends up happening to us that is beyond our own personal decisions. If you live, you live because the Lord has been kind to keep you going. The many sins that should have killed you and me a long time back did not kill us. Yet they killed a whole lot of other people. The very same sins that you committed, they did not kill you. And yet they killed a whole lot of other people. Why? Who makes you to differ? It was not your nutrition. It is not that you made very good decisions to prevent whatever from happening. 
Who makes you to differ? It is God who makes the difference. We lived because the Lord did not intend our death by them, not because we're smart to avoid them. No, it is the glory of God that spared us, not our passions and our carefulness. My friends, brothers and sisters, if God desires our death, none of our parachutes will deploy. They won't open. And by parachutes, I mean all the small cities of refuge that we have built for ourselves and things that we do to protect ourselves from things that happen to other people, whom we think are not as smart and organized as we are, Yes, those foolish people. We are only here today because God glorified himself in not giving us over to death. Death is never far away from us, but God keeps it at bay. So God appoints sickness and distresses and trouble and problems even for his people to grow and mature them. But even more, the sickness of sin was by his appointment, that Christ may be glorified in raising his people from it. God is glorified in the recovery of his people from the sicknesses that he appoints for them or has appointed for them. I don't know if you still remember the Chilean mine disaster the mine disaster that happened in Chile, I believe in 2010, that it was not the president of Chile who received praise, but the man who worked tirelessly and dug into the ground and recovered those who were trapped in the mine without any hope of escape. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is he who has dug us out. He is he who came to rescue us who were helpless, helplessly trapped in the mind of our own sin. But the sisters have relayed the message to the Lord. Essentially, they have prayed to the Lord in very simple terms. The one whom you love is sick. They were supplying information to the Lord, but the Lord already knew about it before it happened. And that is why he was not with them at the time. And that is why he waited two more days. The Lord ordained for it to happen. And it had a much bigger purpose than the death of Lazarus. The death of Lazarus was not the end of things. The death of Lazarus was not about the death of Lazarus. It was for the glory of God and the Son of whom It laid the ground or stage for his own glorification that was about to happen on the cross and burial and resurrection. The sisters supplied information about their brother to the Lord. But the Lord does not need our information. So the sisters in their prayer were supplying information to someone who already knew about the situation before they sent the call. 
So prayer is not for supplying God with an update of the situation at home. He already knows. Prayer is for us to recognize that the situation requires resources that are beyond our supplies. And so prayer is an acknowledgement of our inadequacy and dependence on him. Prayer then is for worship, not for giving God a Facebook status update. Oh, here, God, did you check my latest status on Facebook? I thought you need to know that. No, it does not work like that. Prayer says, I am nothing, Lord. I am nothing, and you are everything, and you alone are sufficient for my situation. If you have to suggest to the Lord what and how he has to deal with the situation, then it means you are saying he has not enough wisdom to decide on the situation himself without your input. But God does not decide on alternatives. God does not look at 500 alternatives and then say, okay, which one is the best one? God does not think. And so he does not decide. For to think or decide is creaturely. That is a sign of weakness. God knows all things and has ordained all things. And so he already ordained what is going to happen with the situation. The outcome has already been ordained by him. But for the elect, the good news is that all things work out for good. To those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. The ones who are the called according to the purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? The glorification of his son in salvation. And the good is not that the situation necessarily gets fixed, but that Christ is formed in the person. The situation may actually remain unchanged or get worse and yet continue to work for your good. The sickness may not improve and yet continue to work for your good. The unemployment blues may not work and continue to work for your good. Your marriage situation may not improve and continue to work for your good. Why? The good that your situation brings is not defined for us by us and how we feel about the situation. It is what God says is good that is good. So, I've had people say, I've prayed and I've fasted and I've cried until I ran out of tears. But the situation remains the same. I think God hates me because he's not doing what I want him to do. No, dear friend. Which God are you talking to? Who has to do what you tell him to do? That is having what I call a God problem. Not having a proper view of who God is. God does not work in the ER. He comes in his own time and so Jesus waited four more days. For people who expect God to expedite their drive through order, it seems the situation remains the same. 
But the problem is the situation is your perspective that has remained the same. God is ever working and conforming you to the image of his son. And he has to press you into the mode that is called Jesus Christ. That is being conformed to the image, to the mode of Christ. And for you to fit into that mode perfectly, you need to be melted like plastic. If you know anything about making Tupperware and all those plastic utensils, when they make plastic cups and utensils, they make them from molten plastic that is poured into a mold. And so when you pour the molten plastic, it takes the shape of the mold. And then you, when it dries up, you pour out and you have a cup and you have a fork and you have a spoon. And so God brings situations that melt us spiritually so that we may be poured much more easily into the mold of Christ. And the melting process is not good. For a moment, it does not feel good. But it has to be done, and God has to do it. And it all works for your good, because God just loves to see more of his son, Jesus Christ, in his people. God just loves Jesus. That is why the text says, we are conformed to the image of Christ. But see that the Lord already knew the outcome of the situation, even though Mary and Martha did not even know whether their prayer had reached him or not. The Lord had already purposed on how he was going to deal with the situation. So in verse 6, John says, So when he had, so when he had that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now to me, that sounds like ignoring a very dire situation. Why stay two more days in the place where he was when the one that he loved was at the point of death? We have a popular teaching in the church of Jesus as a vending machine that you put in a few coins, 25 cents, 50 cents, and you press a button and things will drop at the bottom. But instead of just putting actual money, you just press the name of Jesus. Tag the name of Jesus at the end of whatever comes to your mind, however foolish it is. But the true Jesus of the Bible drops nothing even when you put your money into the vending machine in Jesus' name. The true Jesus of the Bible cannot be manipulated that way. He waits and then he acts in his own time. But this also, in the context of the story, tells us that the sickness of Lazarus was very purposeful and may have may have been an acute sickness because it took Lazarus' life very quick. But in John 11, John says, verse 7, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? 
the Lord says to his disciples, let us go to Judea again from whatever place they were. But the disciples were thinking, no way is Jesus. What are you thinking, Lord? Have you forgotten that lately the Jews wanted to stone you? The Jews want you. What did you did? What is wrong with you? We know what happens when we get to Judea. There are going to be fireworks with the religious leaders over there. Judea is where Jerusalem was. And the last time that they were in Judea, things did not go very well. The Jews sought to seize him and stone him in John 10 after the teaching of the Good Shepherd. And so the disciples said, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Why are you forgetting that this almost happened just a few days ago? And are you going there again? And this was a collective statement and opinion. This is what everybody thought. Everyone was united by the opinion that this was not a good idea because they surely did fear for the life of the Lord. And so they tried to persuade him, to dissuade him from going back. But verse 9 and 10, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Okay, Jesus, what has that anything to do with getting back to Judea and risking getting stoned by the angry Jews? But here's the reasoning of the Lord and what he's saying. He is making spiritual understanding accessible with the use of the simple. This is not about just going back to Judea. There's a bigger purpose why Jesus is where he is. The cross is right around the corner. And so he has to go to these people who hate him, that he may drive them even more crazy, that they may get angry at him and put him on the cross. Because the hour of his glorification is getting near. So here's the reasoning. There are 12 hours in a day, and so this is the safer time to do any walking activity so that one does not stumble. Why? Because he who walks in the day sees the light of this world. So the sun provides the light so that one can avoid the pitfalls or any such thing that is laid before them that may cause them to trip over and fall and possibly get hurt. And so their walk is safe because they are walking in the light. But in contrast, if one walks in the night, he stumbles. Why? Because the light is not in him. As men, we have poor night vision. And so we are essentially blind like bats 
at night because we do not have light in ourselves. We have no sauna like baths or light in ourselves that enables us to see without outside light shining on what we have to see. For us to see things, light has to be reflected back into our eyes from the objects. And so, if that light is gone, there's no sight. It is total blindness. So, if one desires to walk safely, they have to walk within the confines of the 12-hour period that is provided by the light. And to try and walk outside that time is a sure guarantee to stumble. So, what is the Lord saying? He's saying many things. Number one, that this is very good practical advice about when to travel. It is just safer to travel during the day. Number two, or secondly, that he still had time in his own mission, in his allotted 12 hours of God's appointed time. He was coming to the close of his mission, but he still had a few more hours. He still had work that had to be accomplished because his 12 hours were not yet up because a time was approaching when he would not be able to do what he meant to accomplish in Judea. His allotted 12 hours of his ministry was coming to an end and he had a few more hours on the clock to accomplish that work. And so the death of Lazarus was a time marker of his ministry to say, look, we are drawing close to the finale, the cross. And so he has to go back to Judea because the curtain for the fulfillment of all things was coming down. A time of darkness was coming. The time of the darkness of the cross was fast approaching and so they had to go to Judea to finish his own walk in his own light. But Jesus is also the light of the world. And once he is gone, there can only be darkness. So if anyone has to walk, they have to walk in his own light because his own light is only for an appointed period of time. But thirdly, God has appointed times for everything. And one has to redeem the time in the 12 hours of light that has been given them to walk in. Otherwise, darkness is so Darkness is also going to dawn on them that they may not see their way. Thus the believer is aged to be purposeful with their lives in the light of the gospel. There are seasons that God gives for people to hear the gospel, to learn and grow in the knowledge of Christ and some use the time diligently and others wait till it is dark and they begin to grow up for light in darkness. The same rain falls on all fields by some people who always be hungry. Why? Because they are not redeeming the rain. They are not redeeming the opportunity. And so things will happen. The darkness has come 
Then they try to walk in the light of their darkness. And then they begin to stumble and cause a lot of problems for themselves. The Lord said the darkness is coming. The darkness is not waiting for anyone to put their little ducklings in a straight row. The little ducklings are always getting out of line even with the leash on the poor little things. The little ducklings of life. Always thinking about this and that, but never about Christ. The forces of darkness are marching and you'll be overtaken and suffer great loss. And so those who are seeing the light have to continue moving in the light of Christ that they may guard their feet from stumbling, from danger. And that is an aspect that many professing Christians do not understand about the gospel and about grace. They think grace means there's no more darkness. Grace means there's no more work to be done as to be accepted by God. But the same grace warns you and says keep running in the light of the gospel. Because once the darkness has overtaken you, you will not be able to see your way that you used to be able to see clearly. If the darkness overtakes you, you begin to follow anything that looks like it has light in it. Even fireflies. Even Roman Catholicism, Seventh-day Adventism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, they begin to look like they have some light at the end of their tales. Why? Because they are flickering the light of moralism. They are flickering the light of religion. They are all against abortion. But that is just light from fireflies it will take you nowhere. That is not gospel light. Fireflies have not enough light to take a sinner to the shores of heaven. You need to keep holding to the light of the gospel. And there are many churches and many people that are already walking in darkness. The darkness of a false gospel. And many are going to find very late, that they have stumbled in that darkness when they thought they were walking in the light. And it is these who come and say, according to the Lord in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And hear the response from the Lord. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We have to ask a question and say, what kind of light are you walking in? Is the light that you're walking in bright enough to show you the way to heaven? To show you the way of peace with God? Some people will come and say, you need to take it easy. Get yourself some rest. But the rest that they prescribe is always to rest from the things of Christ. 
Why? Because they want you and I to get caught in the ease or comfort of their own darkness that has already overtaken them. Why are you so much about this grace thing? Why are you so much about this gospel thing? They want you to mute it. They do not see the light that I am walking in. They don't see the light that you are walking in. I am already in Christ's rest. I entered into his rest. But here and now is not time to rest. It is time to grow in the things of Christ, to grow in the knowledge of Christ. It is the time to keep marching heavenward to Beulah land. It is time to preach Christ, the testimony of the gospel, to as many as God will cause to hear. It is time to redeem the time. There has been so much wasted time already during our days of ignorance and foolishness. Apostle Paul said this, Philippians 3, 12-14, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Apostle Paul does not say, well, Christ has already laid hold of me, and so I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to ignore anything to do with the gospel. Because oh, after all, Christ has his hands on me. No, Apostle Paul says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I do not count myself as already arrived. But one thing I do, just one thing, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To walk in the light is to keep pressing forward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It is the time of forgetting those things which are behind everything that is behind. Your sins that are behind. Whatever it is that is behind. And reaching forward to those things. To grab hold of those things which are ahead. And Christ is he who is ahead. And so, study to show yourself approved that you may be ready to give a defense, an answer to everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that is in you. My brothers and sisters, we have to be aware of how spiritual things work. People are oblivious of the fact that they can be used by the devil to say foolish things and not even realize it. And that is why Apostle John said, Beloved, test the spirits. Test the spirits. Now you are not going to be able to see the spirits. And you can't use a thermometer to test the spirits. You test the spirits by what they are saying. What they are saying about Christ. And for you to be able to know what they are saying about Christ, it supposes that you also know the truth about Christ. Otherwise, how are you going to test? And so, the devil can speak to people 
and the people will not even realize it. And if you tell them that, they'll go crazy. It is true. When someone tells you not to be overzealous for the gospel of Christ, thinking that your zeal may become works, then they need a silent rebuke. They do not know what they are talking about. There are two kinds of zeal. The zeal that is not according to knowledge. That's Apostle Paul in Romans 10. Zeal that is not according to knowledge and that is the zeal that tries to establish one's own righteousness that is according to the flesh. But there's also a zeal that is according to knowledge. Our zeal has to be according to the righteousness of the gospel, which is by faith alone in Christ's finished work. And that is the message that we have believed on and that is our light that we desire to keep holding and walking in and to spread across the world. Remember Simon Peter. One time Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. This was on account of the Lord asking the disciples, who do men say that I am? And then he let us say, well, who do you say that I am? And the Lord, when Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the Lord said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this identity, this my identity to you, but my father who is in heaven. And yet, Just two seconds later, the same Jesus says to Simon Peter, Get behind me, Satan. What is happening? What happened to the earlier testimony? What happened to the testimony of blessed are you, Simon Jonah? Why not say, Get behind me, Simon? Hear this. Matthew 16, 21-23. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Why did Jesus rebuke Peter as Satan? Because the devil was behind the testimony that Peter had just given about Jesus not going and dying and resurrecting. Peter was oblivious of what he was saying. He thought he was just saying things. He was oblivious when God the Father gave him the testimony and he was oblivious when the devil gave him the testimony of saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. It sounded like a very caring statement by Peter. Like he really cared for the life of Jesus. And humanly speaking, yes, but not according to Jesus. The Lord was offended by that statement and so he said, Get behind me, Satan, and keep walking. You are an offense, a stumbling block to me. Why, Lord? Because you are not mindful 
of the things of God by the things of man. And that is exactly what I feel or how I feel when people, some people say to me, Oh, you're working too much for Christ. Why don't you mind for the things of man and rest from the things of Christ? This gospel is about grace. So just get your iPad or your tablet and sit down and watch a very beautiful game of soccer. Don't read your Bible. Do not go to church. Do not pray. Do not share Christ. God does not care. It is all about grace. Don't worry. But that's not what grace is saying. Grace says, 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Apostle Paul says, I labored abundantly more than all the other apostles. Yet it was not him, but the grace of God that was working in him. So you see, grace is not lazy. It causes one to labor in Christ, not to be accepted, but because you have been accepted. And here's my testimony from Jeremiah 20, verses 7 to 11. Jeremiah says, O oh Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. I will not make mention of Christ. I will not speak any more of the gospel of grace. But hear this. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. That is the testament of grace. Once the message of grace gets to you, it shall be like a burning fire, shut up in your bones. And you get weary of holding it back. And Jeremiah says, and I could not. And that has to be the testimony of all the children of grace. They can't hold back the gospel of grace. And that is why we continue to labor to share the gospel. Jeremiah says, verses 10 and 11, for I had many mocking fear on every side, Report, they say, and will report it. And all my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced, that is, can be deceived. Then we will prevail against him and we will take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. So they are enemies of the cross. They are enemies of the gospel. And they want you to shut up. They want you to sip it up. They want you to be deceived. 
that they may prevail against you and say, see, those antinomians, but the Lord is with me and the Lord is with you as a mighty awesome one. And those who hate the Christ of the gospel shall stumble and will not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed. For they will not prosper. They may prosper in their numbers, but they shall not prosper over the gospel. So my experience is every time that I kind of feel like I'm getting a little bit tired of this. Suddenly the Lord does something. Always. That says, you have to go back and declare Christ again. Yet another opportunity shows up for me to keep declaring the same old story. For necessity is laid upon me and war is me if I do not preach the gospel. War is me if I do not walk in the 12 hours that God has given me to preach the glory and excellence of his son. Verse 11 of John 11 these things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Jesus already knows that Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is already enveloped by the darkness. Lazarus is already covered by the darkness, the darkness of death. But this our friend, our mutual friend, sleeps. Which means his death is not his permanent situation or final commentary. Death is not the final commentary on the life of those whom the Lord loves. The grave is not the final commentary of all those whom the Lord loves. But yes, he is our mutual friend. Yet we are not going to wake him up together by the exertion of our powers combined together. No, you will go with me to our friend, but I go that I may wake him up. Do you see what is happening? Our friend, Lazarus, sleeps. And suddenly the plural, our friend, becomes I in the rest of the statement. It changes from plural our friend, then Jesus begins to say, I go, that I may wake him up. Why? Because the disciples, we are not in this to help Jesus bring Lazarus back to life. That is work that was beyond the power tools and generators that they had in their dojram. The work of raising Lazarus from his sleep is only by this one who says, but I go that I may wake him up. And that is the work of salvation, my friends. Jesus is not helped by any man to raise a sinner from death. Salvation is the work of the Lord alone, yet the gospel that is called the gospel in our time says, our friend Lazarus sleeps and will go that we may wake him up. You didn't hear me. Let me repeat that again. What is called the gospel in many churches of our day says our friend Lazarus sleeps and will go that we may wake him 
up. Wake him by knocking loud at his tomb door. Wake him by playing some loud music and smoke machines and removing the no step sign on his tomb door. Wake him up by the preaching of the preacher. No, my friends. God alone is he who raises the sinner to life from death. Verse 12 and 13. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. The disciples had another senior moment, another misunderstanding, as with the Samaritan woman, with water from the well, the water from Jesus, and also as was with Nicodemus with a new birth. They all had a misunderstanding. But John tells us, he says, however, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a nap. The disciples did not see any agents in attending to one who was just taking a nap. They thought that he was going to be okay. They were thinking, okay, that's cool. Lazarus needs a nap. He's tired anyway. So let's just give him more time and he shall feel better afterwards. But they had a misunderstanding. The Lord gave the explanation as always as to exactly what's going on. Verse 14, Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And that was plain teaching. Lazarus' friends is not taking a nap. He is dead. Now, that is some truthful gospel preaching from the mouth of the Lord. Because many preachers and people are preaching a gospel whereby men are just taking a nap on a hammock on some beautiful little island somewhere. They say, Adam did not fall as to make man that bad. Adam did not fall as to make man totally depraved. Man still has some room in their house where sin did not affect them very much and so they can go and take a nap in there. Basically, to say there's still some goodness left in man to enable the sinner to come to Jesus by themselves, to make a choice for Jesus. Because if you're taking a nap, you can recover from your nap and make a choice for Jesus. And some of these people claim to believe in the doctrines of grace. They claim to believe in total depravity. And it is these very ones who claim total depravity but still believe in a well-meant offer of salvation. And that is to say, God sincerely desires to save all men if they could just come out of their nap by exercising their choice. They are not so bad. They're only napping. They don't really need to be regenerated from the deadness of their sin. And so, the gospel is for anyone who has the sense to figure out Jesus and take advantage of Jesus. But that is not the gospel according to Jesus. According to Jesus, men are not napping in sin. The Lord said plainly, Lazarus is dead, and that means he has no ability to even get out of that little hammock that he fell asleep in. 
God is not in the gospel seeking to find who will choose Jesus. The gospel is not God scouting people for Jesus. The gospel is a declaration of what Christ already accomplished, already finished, done for those that the Father gave to him who were not just taking a nap, but were dead. It is a call to them to come to Christ. And when he calls them, it is a call to them to come to Christ. And when he calls them, they will hear the voice of the Son of God because the voice of the Son of God not only calls, but he gives life to all that it calls. It quickens them. And so the Lord said in verse 15, And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. The Lord says, I'm glad. I'm happy. For your sakes, that I was not there. What does that mean, Jesus? Are you saying that you are glad that Lazarus died or what? Are you saying you don't care about the death of Lazarus? No. The Lord was saying, if he had been there before Lazarus died, he would have healed him and Lazarus would not have died and that would not have produced the same effect on them as if Lazarus died and was resurrected. That would not have given them the kind of faith that the death of Lazarus would have caused. And so, the death of Lazarus was an even bigger occasion for them to witness who Christ was. And it had a, a purpose. The purpose for them was that you may believe, he said. So the bigger the problem, the more Christ is glorified and the more faith is strengthened. So when you pray and say, Lord, increase my faith, guess what? Do not think Jesus is going to connect a faith boost battery from AutoZone and jumpstart you and cause you to get up with the faith that uproots trees and moves mountains and throwing them into the sea. No, it doesn't work like that. He's going to order some real things that will leave you standing on the edge of the grave. And then he will wait two more days until you are completely in and unrecoverable, by any means accessible to man. And then he shows up. And then he shows up. And he says, our friend Robert Becker Stan Ella is in trouble. But I go, but I go, that I may wake her up. But I go. There has to be some very beautiful words from the lips of the Lord that he will say to you and I, but I go. She is in trouble, but I go. That I may help her up. That I may wake her up. That I may give life to her. That I may recover her. Recover her from her sins. It's Christ who has to go. 
It's Christ who has to go to Lazarus. Lazarus can't come to Christ. Lazarus cannot go to Christ. Lazarus cannot send a message to Christ. But Christ goes because he knows Lazarus can't help himself. And that is the Jesus of the Bible, my friends. That's the gospel. And so faith that remains untested by big situations, big events of life remain weak or frail. It is the kind of faith that remains on a walker that needs a cane, even a wheelchair. But trials are the gymnasium of growing the muscles of faith. Faith has muscles and they need to be grown. Why? Because weak muscles cause injury to the body and so is weak faith. It makes one vulnerable to spiritual abuse. It makes one easy to swing back and forth, tossed here and there, to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, because they have not been strengthened by real testing and the true knowledge of the gospel. It is not that I am not weak myself. I am weak still, but the Lord has strengthened me and continues to strengthen me and will continue to strengthen me because it is by the power of faith that I continue to hold to my testimony of the gospel. But along the way, I have also been tested. I've been poured from one vessel to another of trial. And with each situation, the Lord has strengthened me. And everything that wanted and could destroy me came. And yet at the end of it, it seemed like nothing happened. Some time ago, some things happened to myself and my wife, Sister Ella. And yet nothing happened at the end of it all because the Lord delivered us from it all. We speak not of that experience much, but of the Christ who brought us out of that experience and taught us the gospel that we declare. So the death of Lazarus was also to the end that the disciples' faith would be tested and strengthened. See also that great distress was brought on Lazarus for the sake of growing the strength of the strength and faith of others. And so the Lord may bring distress on you, not because you did anything wrong, but so that he may use you as an example of his faithfulness to grow the faith of others. And when things happen like that, the majority of the teaching in the current church world would say, oh look, it is the devil who caused Lazarus' death. It is the devil who caused you to lose your job. It is the devil who messed up your marriage. Because they have been told that once you come to Christ, nothing that affects your situation negatively can happen to you unless if you forgot to bind the devil. You have to bind the devil. The devil needs to be bound. But surprisingly, the devil keeps getting loose 
And I don't know for the life in me who keeps losing the devil if he's being bound by as many people who are binding him. And of course, that is far from the truth. That's not how things are happening. The writer of Hebrews tells us clearly that the believer is going to be disciplined. The father disciplines every child that he receives. So the things that we go through are just part of the discipline and of being conformed to the image of Christ. Mary and Martha had come to Christ and yet their brother Lazarus suffered sickness and died. And fortunately for them, the Lord raised him back to life. And so the Lord says, Nevertheless, let us go to him and praise the Lord that he said, Nevertheless, let us go to him. He has to come and raise Lazarus because Lazarus is not appointed to death. His sickness is not unto death. The Lord could have easily said, Nevertheless, let us leave him alone, which he could have easily done, but he did not. And he could have said the very same thing with you and say, Nevertheless, let me leave him alone in his sin or her sin which he could have done, but he did not. And that's grace, my friends. But listen to the testimony of Thomas in verse 16. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas, the infamous doubt in Thomas, is not usually the spokesperson of the disciples, but he speaks here. He knows, as all the disciples, that Judea is not a place to go at this time because of the Jews. And so he thinks, well, if we go there, Lazarus is dead. And so we are going to die with him and become like him. These guys are going to kill us. And that is one way of looking at it. And it would not be surprising in the theology of Apostle John, in the thought of Apostle John, that he would have statements that had layered meaning to them. Thomas is speaking more than he understood, and we see that a lot in the writing of Apostle John. And many people have been on this path before, where God is causing them to prophesy beyond what they were thinking. Let his blood be upon us and our children. These are the Jews. They are angry at Jesus and they want him dead. And they say, let his blood be upon us and our children. For them, they were saying, we will take the curse on us. But God was saying, your only hope is for his blood to be upon you and your children. And we also see this in with Israel in First Samuel when they were demanding for a king when they said, we will have a king of us. That was a statement of rebellion against the rule of God. But by that they were saying, they will have a king over them, Jesus Christ, who was to come in the type of King David. And so Thomas here is prophesying that if they go to Judea, he will die with him. Surely Jesus is going to Judea to raise Lazarus, and this becomes his last recorded miracle by John, and then afterwards he was headed to the cross. 
and and that statement by Thomas was a very good gospel message summary. All those who are friends of Christ went to Jerusalem with him that they may die with him and die in him and don't miss the union language. They are going to die with him, not separate from him. They elect a sin in Christ and what he did for them. God placed them in Christ, chose them before the foundation of the world. And so in time, Christ came as the representative of his people. And all his people were in union with him. They were legally in union with him. And so they went on the cross with him. They did not die themselves, but God put them in union with Christ in such a way that whatever happened to Christ was also reckoned to them. Whatever death Christ died, that death was reckoned to them as if they had actually died themselves. And that's the scandal of the gospel. Because in that dying, whereas they are being set free from sin and condemnation. So all the elect of Christ died with him and in him, but not only that, when he resurrected, they also resurrected with him. The elect have already died from that which caused death, sin, and the law that condemned. We died to sin, and we died to the law. Sin and death have no more power, no jurisdiction as to kill one who already died with Christ. Sin cannot condemn you. Why? Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who went to Judea and died with him. Because we all went and we died together with him. We went with him into the cave with David. And we came out of the cave with him. We resurrected with him into the newness of life. And that's the gospel message. That's the gospel message. And it is a glorious message. And we praise God for giving us understanding. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again to praise your name for this wonderful message of grace. The message of a Jesus who is sovereign in all things, even over our sicknesses, over our distresses, who even though he may appear to have delayed, always shows up at the right time, the appointed time, that you may be glorified in his showing up. That our faith may also be strengthened by the things that have been appointed. Lord, we thank you that Christ came and that he raised us up from our deadness and brought us back to life. Lord, I pray that you may use the foolishness of preaching to raise many who are still dead. For many think they are taking a nap, but no, the scripture says, Lazarus is dead. And so they too are dead. And they need the Lord to show up and raise them to life.
We thank you, Lord, for raising us up to life. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.